From time to time, here at Wellsprings, we invite someone from within our community to come forward and share a little bit about what living charged full with the charge of the soul means for them, how that's showing up in their lives. We call it charged full living. So this morning we've invited Kevin Donahue to come forward and share with us a little bit about how the charge of the soul is showing up in his life right now and invite you also a little bit into that same charge. Did this when we did this at 9:30 I was so anxious that I was basically standing there panting at the steps to come up and, and get going so Hopefully I'll breathe for the first half this time. Uh, Thank you, Lee, for the introduction. Um, And I'm here to tell you about a trip that I took to Haiti, a service trip in January of 2014, um, and to offer an invitation to those who may want to uh, come on the next trip, which will be this January, between January 6th and January 13th. Uh, So to start, let's start at the beginning. Uh, Well, no, let's start at the end. Let's start at the end. Uh, Our last night in Haiti, after a dusty, long uh, week uh, there, and one of the drivers on our trip, we had uh, four vans that sort of shuttled us all around the country on these roads, Uh, and his name was Kareel, and on the last evening, he brought his 16-year-old son with him. Very proudly, he brought him uh, so we could meet him, and there were 17 members of our party brought him to the dormitory in the compound where we were staying. Uh, and he introduced us, and his son, Kareel's son, told us that his son wished to uh, be a student. He was a student. He was going to uh, go to university, and that was going to mean leaving his family home. Uh, it could mean eventually going as far as Canada, a long way from Haiti, which is basically a one step to the right from Cuba. Um, and so someone asked him in our group about leaving home, and he said that he was concerned about being that far from home. He had never been that far away, obviously. Uh, And then he told us, and I remember this very clearly, he said, but when you go to university, you become a student of the world, a student of the world. And that phrase hit me then. Obviously, it's remained with me because I went along to Haiti uh, partly as a student of the world, but mostly as a chaperone to the youngest student in my home, who was then 16. He was a member um, of the mainline Unitarian Church youth group, and several friends, and he had gotten really jazzed about this trip and really wanted to do it. And having a 16-year-old, I wasn't quite ready to let him go quite that far away from home all by himself. Uh, So I kind of got dragged into it in that way by my son's enthusiasm, which is a good thing to happen occasionally. Um, The trip includes 17 people, all Unitarian Universalists. Uh, About four of them were between 16 and 20, which was great. It was wonderful. They illuminated the trip in some ways with their enthusiasm and with their eyes, with their fresh kind of take on on what they were seeing. Um, Most of the folks are from suburban Philadelphia. Uh, We were there to aid in the construction of sustainable villages uh, for people who had fled from Haiti's largest city, Port-au-Prince, in the wake of the earthquake of 2010, if you remember, it was very devastating, and over a quarter million people died in Haiti, most in Port-au-Prince, where shoddy construction collapsed uh, and killed people. Uh, so there was a need in the countryside for housing where people can, can live um, and be safe, and that's what we were working on. There were two of these villages that had been created already uh, when we got there. We were working on number three. There are six now. 
uh, and that's awesome. The weeks were equal parts challenging and transformative. One reality of traveling to Haiti on a service trip is that you live inside of a bubble, and this bubble is meant to protect you to a certain degree. It's there for your safety, uh, primarily to keep you from illness. Uh, you won't drink water, uh, for instance. Uh, but it's also a bubble of privilege. There's a privilege that, uh, that you carry even when your intention in going to Haiti is to sort of strip that privilege away and to be there and just to do the work of helping other folks. It's not that easy because your privilege is not for you to give away sometimes. It's, it, there's, it, privilege is a compact between people. And sometimes our hosts, as much as we were saying, no, no, let us do it, they were, they were being good hosts. And so it was confounding sometimes. No, let me help you. And you, it can almost be frustrating. Uh, but the moments when circumstances pushed me or tossed me or pinned me or sort of pushed my face right up against that bubble in the most uncomfortable ways, and often with my privilege in tow as I'm getting kind of pushed there, against that bubble, they were the realest and the hardest moments, and they were also the ones that I remember the most and that, that stay with me. Uh, here's a pretty everyday example of that. Uh, we went to a construction site every morning and worked until about lunchtime. It was about as long as we would last in the sun, uh, that close to the equator. Uh, and one of the bubble rules for us, as I was saying, is about water. We couldn't drink the water in Haiti. We would have became ill if we did. And so we drank a lot of bottled water. If you don't like plastic bottles, you'll have to grant us an exemption uh, in this, in this uh, circumstance. Uh, so we brought bottled water to the work site. Uh, and there were us, which is about 20 people, and then there were about 100 people working on the site. It's all manual labor. Everything is done uh, by hand. And uh, so sooner or later, as the sun was, was on us, there would come a point where we'd need to go get some water. And when you, came, when you got the water, there would be workers there who would say, why don't you bring one for me, too? They would point at it and say, could you bring some water for me as well? Uh, and, uh, and we would say no. And the reason we had to say no was because there was potable water at the site. There was a well, and you could walk down there. It was about maybe an eighth of a mile walk. It wasn't very far. Uh, and you could get water. And we did not have enough water to give to one. If we gave it to one person, then everyone would ask for water. And it, so we just found ourselves uh, in a strange spot. And the strangeness of it was that it would make you super uncomfortable. I would basically go and sit in a van to drink water because I didn't feel like I, I felt very uncomfortable drinking in front of folks who were asking me for something that I couldn't give them. And that's kind of Haiti in a nutshell sometimes, the uncomfortableness of wanting to be able to give people things that you can't really handle at that time, uh, that you can't do. So that was a point of disconnection. There are a lot of points of connection where we got right up on that bubble, where we would stretch it so thin that you could see through it and you could feel through it. Uh, there was the time with Kirill's son. That was a moment when we felt super connected. Uh, there were moments when we were working together on the work site. We actually sang together one day, and we danced together. Uh, we sang This Little Light of Mine because we were very good Unitarian Universalists. Uh, and uh, we were a little square. And they sang French pop songs back at us, uh, which was just awesome. And uh, it, was, it was one of the things, it was one of the few things, uh, Haiti's a pretty segregated society uh, by gender, but it was one place where the men and women got together and they sang, the young people sang with us. Uh, 
men and women. So that was cool. Uh, there was one evening where we played soccer with what appeared to be every able-bodied person, every able-bodied young male within 40 miles of where we were. The entire town showed up as we're driving. I'm like, gosh, a lot of people, they must have a lot of soccer games around here because look at all these guys on the road. They were all coming to play us. <laughs> and they killed us. And we had a great time. And there was a point in the evening where we looked and there was a, there was, the moon was over here, the sun was over here, we were playing, and really, there, it was kind of a holy space. There were oxen in the field, and out of, the left, out of my left eye, I saw a bunch of horses go running down a road, unmanned, there's no one, and then a man running behind them, and I really felt like I had walked into a Gabriel Garcia Marquez novel, and I wasn't sure I was going to be able to get out. Um, so there were moments like that. There was... Here, this, uh, the fellow on the left in the blue shirt, his name is Mackenzie. He's a farmer in the countryside uh, outside of, on the central plateau. He, uh, he gave us a tour. This is his young family on the right. Um, and that's kind of what Haiti looks like. It's pretty, it's pretty sere, it's pretty severe. Um, it's pretty brown. Uh, and he was, he was growing a lot of crops, actually. Uh, this photo I took with my iPhone, and the strange part being that after I took it, he said, he came up to me and he said, could you put that, could you send that to my Hotmail account? I didn't know anyone even used Hotmail anymore. They're still using Hotmail. Uh, he goes, because I want to put it on my Facebook page. Mackenzie does not have a line. He does not have an electrical line. He has a generator that he uses when he needs electricity, and the water to his home actually runs to the front yard where he has a little spigot. They don't bring water into, um, into the house. It's, it's sort of custom. They, they don't really, they cook outside, and so they don't really want water inside their homes. So, Mackenzie, Facebook. Where, wherever you go in the world, Facebook. It was a hard week, and the space between our good intentions and what we could actually achieve uh, was something that seemingly everyone in the group wrestled with. Uh, and yet this bouncing up against this bubble, the act of connecting through and sometimes despite it, that was, in some ways, uh, the, the gift of the trip. That was it, the beingness that Lee was talking about, being together. Um, there were things that, that we accomplished, too. One of the things that, uh, uh, is that they've, um, when we were there, they were talking to people in one of the villages about the fact they wanted a school. It was a long walk to, for their children along a pretty dangerous road to uh, get to school. And I just saw pictures recently that they've recently built a school, three-room schoolhouse for, uh, for all these villages. Awesome. The actual works, something that was really useful. And it happened because of um, all of our, in, a, in the largest sense, um, being together with them. One of our patron saints of Wellsprings is Dr. Brene Brown. And if you don't know, she has a new book coming out. It's called Rising Strong, and uh, she's on the interview circuit. And so I just heard her this week, uh, which was uh, nice timing. And she was talking about grit and resiliency. And she said this, lean into some discomfort. Because I think some of these seemingly impossible problems we have about race and homophobia and the environment and the lack of love sometimes are not going to be solved in a comfortable way. You have to choose between comfort and courage. You can't have both. The reason I brought this to Ken, this trip, and I'm bringing it to you today, is I think that Wellsprings is a faith community that calls us to courage over comfort, that allows us to create the space to transform lives, and in my heart, this trip is an expression of exactly that kind of call. Earlier in the year, I co-led a springboard with Reverend Ken called Engage Compassion. 
the idea and the emotion behind it was that a more just and less violent world starts with the simple act of seeing the world as it is. And its beauty and its magic and its pain and its difficulty. And I believe that like Kareel's son, that travel and adventure are pregnant with revelation. They change us. They make us students of the world. How and to what end? I don't have the faintest idea. That's beyond my pay grade. I don't know what happens or whose lives get transformed in this project. I don't know if the students of the world that we spawn are born an inch, which is the town next to the, uh, the compound where we stayed, whether they're born there or an eco-village four where these little guys live, or from Chester Springs or Coatesville. And, it will mani- and I don't even know if what we do there will manifest itself in action when it comes here. Because sometimes what we cultivate and grow in one place doesn't transfer so easily. Even The intentions don't, don't spawn into action. I would hope they would. But I do know that somebody's heart will break open while we're there. And the world is going to change, a little or a lot. This is the kind of revelation that I believe in. It's one that calls me back to Haiti for a second time. It's one that calls me back to this faith community week to week and season to season. I hope that some of you will join me in Haiti. That would be awesome. We'll have a good time, challenging time. And no matter if you do or you don't, that we go about the glorious and uncomfortable work of transforming lives, our own and others. If you want to know more about the trip, I will be available after service. We'll probably sneak off into a room, and I can give you the details about things like cost. Yes, there are costs, things you would have to do as far as precautions. But thank you so much for your time and for your attention.